0: Hello! Welcome to another episode of Capital Employed FM. Joining me in conversation for this episode was Benj Gallander from the popular Contra the Herd Newsletter. Benj is widely considered to be Canada's top authority on contrarian investing. His 20-year annualised return is just over 18%. He is also the author of many best-selling investment books. In this episode, Benj talks about his contrarian investment style. He also talks through his thesis for investing in two turnaround stocks that have great upside potential. This was a great episode and I think you'll really enjoy it. Before we start, make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Okay, let's jump into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Benj. Hi Benj, thanks for coming on to the podcast.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to it.
0: Can you provide an overview of Contra the Herd and um, what is the investment style?
1: Well, myself and my, my business partner, Ben Stadelman, met way back 45 years ago at the University of Western Ontario. And we did a number of different things including starting a theater festival that's now in its 30th year but that's kind of a was a sideline. So we decided uh, over 25 years ago since we were doing a lot of investing to start the investment letter. And I've always been somewhat of a contrarian thinker. I've always looked at things in a different way. I started out by investing in companies that I thought could turn around. But I always looked at things that were down and out and beaten up. And that effectively is what we do at Contra. We look at companies that are dramatically out of favor. We're deep value investors. We look at companies that have been around, though, for at least 10 years. So we're not buying into anything new and exciting at all. We're buying into very established companies. Some are smaller. Some are much bigger The majors. But we generally stick very much to our our knitting. In terms of the investment style, we don't do a lot of buying and selling in a normal year, maybe three to six stocks. We tend to sit back and wait and we try and ignore a lot of the noise out there. And of course, there's way more noise out there than ever before because of the internet and cell phones everybody's trying to send you information and a lot of it's worthwhile but a lot of it isn't so the investment style is to be patient is to buy into stocks can go up 100 percent. we do love dividends something i like to say is that dividends allow me to be stupid longer because if i buy a stock and it doesn't go up or it goes down which some do then at least if I'm getting a dividend, I'm getting some sort of return on, on investment. And we do believe in diversification, but not over-diversification. As a matter of fact, that's one of the chapters in one of my best-selling books, The Contrarian Investors 13, Beware the Devil of Over-Diversification. So we feel that with 15 to 25 stocks in a portfolio, we can be nicely diversified.
0: And what type of businesses do you focus on? Is there any particular industry or maybe some quantitative metrics you look for?
1: We don't have any particular industry. We'll buy uh, we can buy anything on the NYSE, the NASDAQ, the TSX in Canada. We're not buying anything new as I said, particularly like it when a, a whole sector is out of favor, so then we can cherry pick in the sector after the financial crisis. American bank stocks were really badly beaten down. Many of them went bankrupt. So we were focusing on that area. And we love it when that happens because if we can cherry pick in a sector, it's really a great, great thing for us. In terms more of the specific business characteristics, we do a a tremendous amount of research. While some of the companies are smaller that we buy, they have to have a certain amount of trading volume because even though a contra, we only take a thousand subscribers and we max out at that, we feel we can give people better service when we do it that way. We still have to make sure there's adequate trading volume to that people can buy in if they want to. And we've owned you know some of the biggest corporations out there. We've we had bought Yahoo at 11.11 and sold it at, I think, 42. Bank of America at 6.76, sold it at 38.74. So some huge corporations like that, Hobart, Kitchens, Exxon at one point, but again, only when the companies are out of favor. So we look very carefully at the financial ratios of the corporation and try and make sure that uh, the corporation can cover its debt. But we've learned over time that one of the biggest mistakes we used to make, and I've been investing for about 45 years, it seems crazy to me that I can be that old, but uh, fortunately I am, or maybe it's fortunately. And one of the reasons that we had mistakes was because we bought into companies with too big of a debt load. And sometimes they'd they'd go bankrupt or they'd have to be restructured. It did not happen to us a lot, but more than we would like to know. So very much we concentrate on debt, we look at the book values of the corporation, that to us is very, very important. Often we like to have a leader in its field, although that's not always the case. And when we bought into say costs a few years ago at a dollar and change, they they do uh, audio headphones. It had been a leader, but it had been overtaken by companies like Apple. In the past year, it's gone up to one hundred and twenty-seven dollars. I wish we had held it all the way up. We we look at management and see what we feel about management. If management's been with the company for a long period of time, we like to see that what they've predicted has pretty much come true. So we actually like when management says, "You know, things aren't good now. Uh, we expect them to turn around in two or three years." Because a lot of management, they're always rosy. And if they're always rosy and then the corporation doesn't do well, well, we we lose our faith. So often we do talk to management before we buy in. We like to look for companies that might be takeover candidates. So often there's rumors out there on a company. Perfect example of that was Rona, a huge hardware chain in Canada. There were rumors and actually the Quebec government said, no, we don't want you to be taken over. Eventually, though, they did allow it by Lowe's, a big American company. So sometimes it's public knowledge that a company is also looking to be taken over. They start looking at at strategic alternatives. So sometimes if the company's badly beaten up, we might buy into those too. Again, we're always looking at 100% or more on the upside. So that's absolutely critical. But when we say that, none of it's pie in the sky we'll look at companies that have traded say at seven in the past 10 years at a much higher level. We look at it, see if we think it can get back there. But there's others that sometimes cycle, like there's companies like Alpha Pro Tech, which we bought into, and they make uh, protective equipment and also building membranes for roots. But the key was the protective equipment. And we saw every time there was a health scare, the company would skyrocket. So when there was Ebola, SARS, COVID, the company went up like crazy. So it's another of those companies we bought for under $2 and eventually it went over 40 Again, we didn't hold and get the maximum out of it. We rarely hit the high. We rarely buy in right at the bottom. We wish we could do it more perfectly, but it simply doesn't normally work out. When we sell, and when we always look at our initial sell target, so we set a sell target when we buy into the company. So that's when we feel our feet are most carefully planted in the ground. And that's absolutely absolutely key for us. So normally when it hits a sell target or is around, it will sell 50%, maybe even 100%.
0: If we may, can we um, jump into your portfolio? Can, can you talk about maybe two stocks that you're very bullish on at the moment, and what was the thesis for investing?
1: So my first pick is uh, Santander, which is Spain's number one bank. They're also uh, one of the top banks in Brazil. They bank in about 10 countries, and they've been around since 1856, I believe. And they would make money year after year after year until last year, when they took the largest write-off of any European bank. Of course, COVID hit. A lot of banks were taking write-offs. We like this one. We like a company that makes money year after year. They're a leader in the field. Again, it follows the same philosophy we did with Bank of America. It was a leader in the field. It still is. We thought it had huge upside. We couldn't see it going bankrupt. Well, with, with Santander, it's it's the same idea. It's a it's a very very strong company. Pays a nice dividend, although last year they eliminated the dividend because the regulator, regulators in Europe suggested that to all the banks there, so they did that. It has since been reestablished. We think it will go up quite a bit. So it's just uh, we think it's a, it's a beauty. It, it went into the por- portfolio. Just over a year ago at 205, it's done about a double. We think it could double again, which is where our sell target is. But at the same time, this stock traded over $20, and we like that. So it's quite possible if and when it gets to that $8 and change valuation, we will look to sell part of the position and hold more of the position. And I'll just add another thing. As I mentioned, after the financial crisis, we bought into a lot of banks. And at one point, about 35% of the portfolio was in American banks, but that was divided between three to five banks at different points in time. So we did have diversification within the banking sector and also within the portfolio, even though it was somewhat crowded with those banks. The second one, I'll go with the Canadian stock, since we are based in Toronto, and is, uh called Black Diamond. And Black Diamond was always known for being in the oil patch. And what they would do is they would set up places in the oil patch. So they would basically set up modular accommodation, and that was their primary focus. When the oil and gas prices got killed... Black Diamond actually had difficulty because there wasn't as much demand for what they had. So they spread their wings, and now they still focus on modular space and workforce accommodation, but they'll do it, say, in the educational space if uh, certain schools need portables. When you had the wildfires out west, they had modular accommodation for that. They'll do it for real estate companies. So they do it in a lot of different areas so that the percentage in the oil and gas patch is a lot less. Now, the company has lost money for a number of years in a row. And at some point, they're going to have to make money. But the losses have become a lot less. They have taken over some other companies in the space. And because the space was badly beaten up, I think they got real bargains on it. So it appears to have uh, a lot of potential. Uh, the stock price has been going up quite a bit lately. Again, it, I think it's foreign change now. I see this potentially as double digits. It's gone much higher than that in the past. So in our portfolio, in the one I manage, we actually have two portfolios of Contra the Herd, one that Ben Stadelman and Phil McKeller manage. More of it right now is in the States than in Canada although a lot of it is in Canada. But as I mentioned, we do have the ADRs. We've had uh, Telecom New Zealand in it. Right now we have Orange, which is France's biggest telecom provider and in many other countries. So we do buy via the States to be in these other other countries at the same time. Another we own is Flextronics, which is based in Singapore. Uh, It's a huge, huge company. Again, but it's on NYSE. But two of my favorites is Mega, Santander, Black Diamond. And in our portfolio, what we do is we send to subscribers four times a year. We send a, a hard copy. But when we send our emails, when we buy and sell something, we do send that by, as I said, emails. So we have a very timely aspect. And then we have uh, a less time in the quarterly where we normally write about half the companies. So, in each quarterly, the companies are divided into buys and holds. So the buys are companies we'd still buy now. The holds are companies that we hold uh, and that we wouldn't buy at this point in time. And we hope they'll go up further so that we we can get out. So it's pretty pretty well spelled out. I mean, over the twenty five plus years that we've done this. We've uh, both refined the way we distribute information. And the system has been tweaked over the years because I'm a great believer you learn an awful lot from your mistakes. And uh, you learn from what you do well. But by admitting your mistakes, when I'm on TV, people sometimes say to me, why do you st- say so often about your mistakes? You have amongst the best returns out there. 20 years annualized, 18.1%. And I say, because we do make mistakes, and that's what you learn from. And if you just put them under the rug, you may not learn from them. Yeah, it's very true.
0: I like the way you um, send your newsletter in physical form, an actual piece of, uh, on paper as well. That's, um, that's actually quite refreshing these days <laughs> where everything's going digital.
1: Well, but, some um, people have asked us just to send digitally. And to a few we do, especially we have a, a number of subscribers in other countries, so they get it a little more quickly. We did a survey years ago, and about 50% of the subscribers said they could go with just digital. Now, if we did that, for us, it would be easier and it would be less costly. I mean, partially it might be Ben and myself, too, and a lot of our demographic subscribers are older people. I love the tactile nature of having paper i i get the globe and mail every morning in my house except sundays and i love holding on to a newspaper i love holding on to my magazines i'm an avid avid reader to me it, it has value and i know a lot of our subscribers they take them they put them in a folder and they save them and they can look back and our, our very first subscriber who's become a a, a close friend and he was uh Actually, I worked with him at a bank. I wasn't at the bank, but he uh, helped me out there. He, he, he files them all. Sometimes he goes back and looks, and a lot of people do that. And you can do that with email. There's no question, but it's just, it's not the same.
0: It reminds me of um, music. There's something about uh, vinyl. When you pick up the vinyl <laughs> and you can look at all the grooves and just something physical in your hands, <laughs> there's something special about it, even in, like I say, this digital age.
1: I remember when Ben and I met, as I said, it's 45 years ago, and we shared a place with another friend. And of course, we had a record player. And yeah, you'd have all the, the cracking, et cetera, et cetera. And as you know, of course, people have gone back to vinyl. And it's interesting that often what's old is new again. In terms of our investing method, as I said, it's been tweaked over the years. And we've had to learn, for example, with what just happened with Reddit and Wall Street bets. It took two of our companies, Koss uh, and Blackberry, to unbelievable heights very quickly. And we, we sold both of them during that time. We have to continue to learn. If you had asked me six months ago about Wall Street bets and, and Reddit, I wouldn't have known anything. And then I, I really learned what they were about. So, key is staying up on things. I mean, here where I am at this chalet, we've got the music. We use a very, very good technology. But sometimes people, you know, will laugh at me as I put my CD on in the car. And uh, I like it. That's my music, man. Here we go. Yeah, why not?
0: (laughs) Okay, Benji, we're coming up to time now. But I always ask this um, question to all the guests. Is there any person that you have met, any mentor perhaps, or even a book you've read that you feel has made you a better investor?
1: One of the books I loved, which isn't mainstream, is "Where Are All the Customers' Yachts" by Peter Schwed. It's a lot of fun. But I've gone to uh, Omaha to watch Buffett, Peter Drucker, Benjamin Graham, of course, James O'Shaughnessy. There's a host more. And at the end of my two best-selling books on stocks, I I have bibliographies. I mean, one's completely sold out. The Contrarian Investors Thirteen. You can actually order it from our website. Monish Pabrai, who, who manages the Pabrai funds, every year he's kind enough to send me a free book. And the one I've got now is Richer, Wiser, Happier by William Green. And I haven't started it yet, but that could be Chalet reading. One other book I'll mention is Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Very old book, absolutely wonderful book, huge. And again, it's not, it, it, it's, it's just worth it, even though it's, very, very old. And often going back and looking can be very helpful. So where can listeners
0: um, go to find out uh, more about you and Contra the Herd?
1: Well, you can email me directly at G-A-L-L, like my last name, at pathcom.com, P-A-T-H-C-O-M.com. You can go to our website, contratheherd.com, C-O-N-T-R-A-T-H-E-H-E-A-R-D.com. I'm on Twitter, Benj, B-E-N-J, Contra, C-O-N-T-R-A. I mean, if you throw my name into Google, uh, there's all kinds of things. On our website, we have the old Globe articles and some other things. I'm pretty easy to find, and we're very, very happy to respond to people's questions. Usually, I do it in 24 hours. We, we appreciate feedback.
0: Okay, Benj, Yeah, Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's, uh, yeah, It's been a real pleasure to have you on.
1: John, it's been great. I really admire the work that you do. And uh, hopefully we can do this another day at some point in the future.